0: Hello, this is Joel Johnson with another Rainmaker Evolution podcast. I'm really excited about the guest I have today. He's been a longtime friend and a massive contributor to those of us in the Advisors Excel community and to my business personally. Um, before we get to that, as always, do not take anything that is said here and go run with it without running it through your compliance people, and uh, as usual, you ought to have compliance people as we mature in our business. It is not acceptable. To, uh, to wing it and pretend like it's the Wild West anymore. Number one, the regulatory environment has changed, and number two, um, you're better than that. So just be smart and uh, don't come after me, our guest, Advisors Excel, and uh, blame other people if you get into trouble. With that said, I'm sure none of you will do that. And uh, we've been doing a series, as you know, bringing on top advisors, um, most of them within our Advisors Excel community, to talk about what's working, what's not, how have they built their firm? What did it look like five years ago? Breaking down marketing, sales, operations, and so on. And uh, these conversations are very free flowing, but we try to cover a lot of different things. And what the person I have with me today as a special guest is Mike Reese. Almost all of you have met with uh, have met Mike, uh, either some of the trainings that he's done. Maybe he was even the person that did the training that got you introduced to Advisors Excel. He's been a incredibly unselfish contributor to all of us always putting up new materials we run a steep program we run steep programs he's always contributing to that always come contributing to the seminar process matter of fact if you like to do turnkey seminars and you uh, and you don't want to create them yourself like i don't i don't want to create things myself if they're out there mike's got still still got some of the old seminars up on the ae portal so with that said mike reese welcome to the program
1: Joel, I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here today. Uh, As you know, anytime I get to talk to you, I walk away with uh, being smarter, you know, with new ideas myself. So uh, thank you for that.
0: Awesome. So, Mike, who is Mike Reese? Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, who you are as a human being.
1: Who I am as a human being. Oh, boy. Well, I'll, I'll give you my version of it. Obviously, this is not my wife' uh, my wife's version. Hers might be different. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I guess I am someone who really believes that the world is filled with abundance if you just pay attention to it and look for it. Um, I believe that uh, we should all be helping each other. That the world's a better place if we help each other. Um, and, and, you know, all these, if, if there are people out there that say, you know, nothing drives me crazier, I guess I could say than the person that, that, that wants to uh, you know do, you know, they do what they do. They think they figured something out, but then they want to, they want to like hold it. Like, you know, that kid in high school who was the smart kid and they would cover up their homework and their tests. So you couldn't look over and, and cheat or anything. Yes. You know, we don't want those people. Right. We want to be people who, you know, if you experience some success, then gosh, darn it. Why not share it back with the uh, with the industry? And uh, you know what I've learned, Joel, as, as I'm sure, you know, you know, like and you do this, too. You know, when you share your thoughts with other people, it's amazing how, you know, a lot of times they'll take those same things that were working so well for you. And they'll come back and give you a little twist. And then it's even better for yourself. Right.
0: No question. You know, uh, and so here we've come to the first lesson already uh, today, and uh, I'll tell you what it is for me. So I see two philosophies with advisors out there. I see one type of advisor that believes in total abundance. You know, it's not a win-lose situation. Other advisors that they don't like it when anybody's operated in their territory. If a new advisor comes into the AE system, let's just say – and um, you know I'm in Phoenix, and all of a sudden another guy comes in and they recruited him, and he's in Phoenix. I get all nervous. I get to the point where I think I've got some secret I don't want to share with him, and so on and so forth. That's one philosophy of life, kind of the philosophy that there's only so much in the pie, and if I get a bigger slice, somebody else has to get a smaller slice. The other philosophy is, hey, doesn't matter. Um, there's plenty to go around. There's plenty a lot. Of, there's plenty of people that need help, and that's what I'm hearing Mike say here is that. Um, this abundance mentality where it doesn't have to be a win lose situation. And I think for me, when I started to think that way, it did a couple things. Number one, it just made me relax. Now I don't have to be so defensive. I don't have to be so nervous. I don't have to think that, you know, my goals for my family are going to be encroached upon because somebody else comes in, in this competition uh, the other thing it does is it just it's just a better dose of reality I mean the reality is there are so many people that need help there are so few advisors in this business that uh, that it really doesn't matter and you know if you look at other industries um, particularly people in the life insurance world it's a very sharing community um, I'm involved in car racing now and, um, it's the same thing, very small community. Everybody's trying to help each other. So I think it's a much better philosophy in life. And Mike, did you find out that it, that, did you find that once you adopted that, or maybe you always had it, it just, you have a lot less stress in your life?
1: Yeah. And, you know, Joel, um, I, uh, I think I've always been that way. Um, back when I started at Northwestern Mutual, you and I have spoken about this, uh, when I started, uh, I was, you know you know, wet behind the ears and I would go to some, you know, some people who are bigger producers in the office and I would ask them the question, um, you know, hey, can I buy you lunch? Could we sit down? Maybe you could share some thoughts, you know, maybe help me shortcut through the same mistakes everybody makes. Maybe I could help learn from your experiences and and perhaps, you know, get for me to be a little bit quicker. And every one of them would say no to me because everyone said the same thing. No, why would I create my own competition? And I thought that was so small minded and I swore that, you know, if I ever found uh, any success, uh, at least that the industry would think is successful, that I would share what I was doing. And that's kind of what started my journey of sharing. I mean, I, I, when I left Northwestern Mutual, I remember my last year there, my total revenues for the year were $88,888, you know, all eights, not even 100 k right? <laughs> And yep. four years later, I broke the million-dollar mark by leaving and going independent. And that's when I thought, you know what? I've learned some things. Maybe it's time to start sharing. And you know what? You don't have to be perfect to share, right?
0: No, you, you know, don't. In
1: you don't fact,
0: in fact, if somebody's sharing with me and I see that uh, they're not perfect, but they're just trying to help, again, it makes me relax and feel a little better about myself because I know, hey, there's not this super perfect. You know, we don't have to be Michael Phelps if we're swimmers, right? We can relax and have fun. And maybe if we can get there or learn some tips, we'll get a lot better ourselves. And I like seeing people's imperfections. And that's why I try to show a lot of mine.
1: I mean, that's how we learn, right? We learn none of us are perfect human beings. But, you know, we can do we can move forward and we can do our best. And uh, it may not be perfect, but, you know, moving forward imperfectly is better than doing nothing and waiting to get perfect. You know, yep. what, it, remember does Dan Kennedy say about that? He's like, you get 80% of the job done and then the remaining 20% get 80% of that done. Good enough. Now move. Not,
0: yeah, exactly. I like to not even get the last 20% done. I like to just pass that off to somebody. And I figure if the whole thing falls apart, somebody else will fix it. I want to keep moving.
1: <laughs> you can blame so, it on someone. Yeah. And you can yeah, forget exactly. that you never gave yeah. it to them.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> You know, I heard somebody say once, you mentioned training your competition. I, th- I think it was Scott McCann, the guy that talks about uh, everything in show business. And he said he had owned a bus company or something. I don't remember. And, and um, uh, he said, you know what? We train our people and our competition keeps hiring them away. And so we're just going to stop training our people. And um, that's kind of the mentality of, you know, I don't want to train my competition. We see that a lot when uh, we have advisors that come in. And um, they work for us and we're worried that they're going to leave us someday. You know what? There are very few other industries that think that way. I mean, can you imagine you're running an NFL team and somebody gets drafted onto your team and you know you have them under contract for four years, but you don't want to train them because you're worried they're going to get good and go to another team? They don't think that way. They they make the most of the moment or that four-year period. And um, that kind of bothers me when I hear people say, well, I'm training my competition. I better not do that. Let's figure out a way to make sure guys won't leave. Um, you know what? Give them everything you got. If I was working for me, I would have a dream someday of going out on my own. What's wrong with that? And um, so anyway, just little little tidbits here. We're, we're going to jump around quite a bit like this, Mike, because I think it's very helpful for those listening. L- let me... I, go back five years. Tell, tell us what your business looked like five years ago, and then contrast that to what it looks like today.
1: Sure. Uh, five years ago. You know what? I'm going to go back six years, if that's okay, because that's when I retired. Uh, I had built up the business in Traverse City, Michigan. It was very profitable. I got it to run on its own, and I essentially moved to Texas and retired. And, and Joel, do you know how long I stayed retired for? Uh,
0: maybe three days?
1: No, no, I did good. I I was retired for all of like three or four months. And every day for three to four months, I would go and play golf and I would play Candy Crush on my phone. That was my life. And (laughs) very quickly, I got bored. Um, And so I, I piddled around a little bit with some online marketing stuff. And I realized, you know what? I'm not good at that that's not my gift my gift to the world is I'm really good at helping families with their retirement planning and I'm really good at helping teach other advisors how to be good at helping families with their retirement planning so about five years ago I said all right I'll just go ahead and open up an office in Austin and um, so we've done that uh, you know and 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 so to Today, it's, you know, here in Austin, we've got, I don't know, seven, eight people working. We've got over 100 million we've brought in in this office alone um, just you know, during that time frame from scratch. And it is true that it's, you know, one of the things I learned is that when you when you start a new office, you know, you, you go, your mind goes back to, oh, I just want to just start all You know, I'll, I'll just put in place what I've already built in Traverse City. Well, the problem is you you can't shortcut the process, right? You've got to take you got to go step by step. You got to I mean, you can go faster through the steps, but you still have to follow the steps. You have to get the right people in. You have to get the right systems in. You have to train them on the systems and and so on and so forth. So, it was a little frustrating at first, but uh, you know we're certainly running pretty well today.
0: And how much do you have to do with that Traverse City office? Because I know you get revenue from that personally. Um, Yeah, I haven't.
1: I didn't visit it one time in 2019. Um, They quite honestly, they're happier if I'm not around, because I if I if I go there, visit, it basically disrupts their entire day because I just want to talk to them and hang out. And they're like, Mike, get out of our way. We're trying to get stuff done here. Um, But I guess where I I was going to the guys, They're, they're fantastic people. Uh, I got so lucky when I found, um, when I found that group of guys, John, L- John, Art and Larry, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just blessed to be able to have such a wonderful group of people and, you know, and they have ownership as well. And, you know, it works really well. So, so, uh, um, uh, I'm happy. They're happy. Life is good.
0: So you maintained an ownership interest. So you're getting distributions or perhaps even salary. And you're, did they ever call you for advice or is it just sort of this autopilot deal where, I mean, you must, you must check in once in a while or there must be some kind of a shareholders meeting or. Yeah, yeah. we. Formal, well, in or... fact,
1: uh, we meet um, this year, uh, every year we meet uh, at the beginning of the year to, um, you know, to go over, okay, what happened last year? What's going to happen next year? Uh, we do talk on the phone throughout the year. Uh, if they come across something that's working very well for them, they'll bring it to my attention. If I do, I'll bring it to their attention. I mean, um, and, and so uh, that—that's kind of—I would say it's really informal conversation throughout the year, with one big formal meeting at the beginning of each year, and that's what works for us.
0: It's interesting because as you're talking here, I'm thinking that, you know, a lot of financial advisors, they can't step back. They can't, I don't want to say the word give up control. That's really what it is, but it's such a cliche, you know, amongst uh, business consultants. But they, they have a really hard time stepping back and saying, hey, it's okay if I don't get, you know, 35 cents for every dollar we come in, we bring into the firm, maybe by giving people ownership. And training them and stepping back, maybe I only get 20 cents on the dollar, but there's way more dollars. And that's a real hard leap. You know, that's kind of the leap between a business owner and a salesperson, right? And a lot yeah. of advisors have a hard time making that leap. You know, you can't, you are not a business owner unless you have less control and you're counting on your people. Now, the opposite of that is you can have 100% control and you're just a salesperson. And guess what? You probably work for an asshole. Um, because because you're you and you're working for you, and um, and so and there's nothing wrong with being a salesperson with a staff, but let's be clear and honest that that is not owning a business, um, you know if you're a doctor and like my doctor, Doctor Friedman, you know he's Doctor Friedman's there. I go see him um he's limited to the amount of patients he can have because it's all dependent on his time he's got three or four staff people does he own a business well yeah he kind of owns a business but if he gets hit by a truck there's no value there um somebody else will come in and, and they're basically maybe getting a patient list and, and writing his widow a check but there's not this automatic revenue that happens and mike you've created this and i've watched you do this from afar and you've created this self-managing company up in In Michigan that gives you the income to be able to say hey you know I'm bored I'm gonna start up something in Austin and I don't need to wring every nickel out of Austin because I've got this thing that's going on up in Traverse City that I own that's rewarding me for the hard work I did and now I have the freedom to do what I want down here and if everything doesn't work everything doesn't work and now I don't know if that's your mentality but that's that's kind of what I see from afar Oh, that's what I feel like is going on. Would that be accurate?
1: Actually, uh, you've said that quite well, although obviously we want all of our business activities to be profitable. Um, Something that you said, though, uh, really sparked in my mind and for everyone listening, um, I hope you heard what Joel just said about how when you give up that control, maybe you turn it over you end up getting a smaller percentage perhaps, but it's on a lot bigger pot of money. So Joel, before I cut the cord up there, when I first started giving things over, and this was before I left, I noticed that um, the closing ratios uh, for the other people were not as high as it would have been if it were me. Um, the, certainly the ROI on their activities was lower, but the weird thing is that the, when I turned things over, even though their ROI was lower overall revenues for the firm were the same. In other words, we basically made the same amount of money. I shouldn't say overall revenues. I should say overall profits ended up being the same because they were doing, there was more opportunities. Right, that they because instead of one person, me being face to face with a prospect, it was maybe two or three or four people face to face, and so they weren't as good as I was, but they were able to see so many more people that it made up for it. But here's where the fun leverage comes in, and that is they're not going to be uh, not as good as me. I don't think that's proper English, but I think you understand my point. There, the gap between what I am able to do versus what they're able to do every year closes and every year they got better and better and better. And now they are equally as good at, um, help, you know, converting a prospect to a client sometimes maybe even better. And so now we have the same profitability that I would do if it were me, but on a whole much bigger group of people. Right. So, so, You have to understand there's a process that's involved there and you've gone through this. I'm sure, you know, every time you bring on a new person, right?
0: Well, yeah. And, and um, you know, there's, there's different types of people here. We have Eric that owns a significant part of the firm. He doesn't have control. And I tell you, I remember when I was, so I, you know, I formed the firm with Nancy Brunetti and it was 50, 50. Why was it 50, 50? Well, there was a couple of reasons. One is um, I didn't have the confidence in myself to get really big. And I kind of didn't want that responsibility. And so we formed a firm and it was 50-50. And she was a non-selling partner. Um, And we grew like crazy because I could just focus on the things I like to do. And was I leaving a little money on the table? Probably. Who cares? And um, because now I'm in a position where I never would have dreamed of. And then Nancy was bought out. And um, I had this superstar named Eric Hogarth, And he had generated like 2.2 million of revenue to the firm, just himself. I'm not talking about a firm that does 2.2 million of revenue. It was like 2.2, maybe it was 1.9 or something. And he goes, well, I want some ownership. Well, that's fine with me. He's 20 years younger than me. I don't know if any of my kids are coming into this business. Gives me an opportunity to monetize the business a little bit for me, get some money out of it, set that money aside so that my family's taken care of if the business implodes. And also now I've got somebody who's so much more motivated than he was when he was an advisor. And guess what? Last year, if, if I just look at the business that Eric did last year, he did more business from a revenue standpoint than the entire firm did the year I bought Nancy out. So, think about, th- so think about that. And then we have all these other advisors and there's all kinds of other. So the pie is so much bigger that my 56% of that pie is way more than the 100% I was getting before. I mean like it's not even close. It's it's three or four times. And I've got more freedom cuz now I've got a partner that that just has this drive cuz he's got ownership and maybe we'll do some that some of that for some other people in some structure or another in the future. But um you know, if again, I had people that told me I'm making a mistake. And but think about it. Like Let's just take Facebook for, since it's just, I don't know, it's in the news or whatever. Like when Zuck started Facebook, he owned 100% of the firm, right? What does he own now? 9%, I don't know. Whatever it is, he's worth $100 billion. So his 9% is worth thousands of times more than when he owned 100% of the firm. So I think just, and I know that's a drastic example, and some of you are thinking, well, you know, it doesn't really apply to me, because that's the easy way out, right? Oh, it doesn't really apply to me, but, 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 but. But the reality is, this is very common in almost every other business except us in the financial services industry. So I would, you know, I would encourage people, write out what you want, right? Figure out first what you want, and just dream and figure there's no constraints, there's no money constraints or anything, and then see if you can work towards that. And chances are, if you can bring in people like Mike said, you know, like I've met John. I remember I was very impressed with John. Can't remember where I met him. It's maybe a journey somewhere, a world series of sales. You know, you bring in people like that and then you give them a stake and then you sit back and watch the magic happen. Yeah, you're going to have trouble. I'm making it sound real easy. It's not easy. You're going to have advisors that bring in $50 million and they leave. They want to go start their own thing. So what? And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. So got, got off on a little rant there, Mike, but um, you're you're prompting me to think about this again that I haven't thought about in a long time. It's just amazing the freedom that I have and I know that you have now. Um, tell, tell us, what do you think are the main factors contributing to your success? You said abundance mentality,
1: but what else? Um, you know, I'm going to, I'll say it this way. Uh, first, I have an enormous desire to act in a fiduciary capacity with my clients. I want to do what's right for them. And that just goes back to my value system. I think, and I think that's true for a lot of people. There's a lot of advisors out there that truly, truly, truly want to do the right thing for the client. They're in it to take care of the client. They want to help the client. That's not enough though. I think what really created my success are uh, a couple things. Number one, you've got to create a niche somewhere where you're different from everybody, everyone else around you. Uh, you know, I, I've heard you describe your ideal client, you know, is the, you know, the family, maybe a blue collar worker who's, you know, they have assets of 500,000 to $2 million and so on and so on. For us, we do a lot of the tax planning that's our niche, if you will. And that's where we provide a lot of added value. And that's been great. And the other thing that I will tell you even more so that is important is I have over the years continued to bet on myself. And I had the confidence that it would work. And, you know, Joel, I can't tell you how many times, especially in the early days, I maxed out my credit card because i Needed that I didn't have the money to pay for a seminar, but I had a credit card and I maxed that sucker out so I could do that seminar, just having complete confidence in myself that it would work for me, that everything would work out. Um, And, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, if I were more intelligent earlier on, I would have I've heard you talk about this a lot. We say, guys, this is a business Treat it like a business. Right, you say go get a line of credit right out of the gate. You know that's what every business does. Well, I was unfortunate enough not to hear that advice from you when I started, so I just did it on my credit card, which was an expensive line of credit. (laughs) But but nevertheless, um, I'll tell you what I think that that willingness to continually bet on myself is is a big factor, and just the whole mindset of you know you want to market to you want to get your message out to masses. The more you can do your message to masses and then let them raise their hand and say, okay, I'm interested. You know, the more effective you are than trying to go one, 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 to try to pick the few that are interested in your message.
0: Amen to that. It was an awesome thing that happened when I figured out, Hey, I can talk to a room of 30 or 40 people and a few of them will ask for appointments. Because the reverse of that was I can talk to anybody that can steam a mirror and so many people are going to reject me. Well, now I don't have to get rejected anymore. I just put my message out. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And there's going to be enough people that ask for appointments. And and a, the, the tighter you get your messaging, you know, if it's we work with people that look like X, the more you'll attract. You know, we're afraid that if we get that messaging tight, you know, whether it's, you know, I work people. I work with people in Northwest Austin that work for a tech company that have stock options and that have children and grandchildren that they're concerned with, right? So there you just narrow that tight. And when I say that, people go, well, what about my next door neighbor? He doesn't work for a tech company. He owns a landscaping company. But the more you say, well, that's not my deal. I work with this group of people. The more it attracts that group of people, which is why you have these massive ria firms like you know like you take silicon valley where they might only have i met a guy with two clients that has 1.4 billion under management now is that a risky practice yes but that's not my point my point is he is so tight in what he believes that he attracts a a person that looks exactly a certain way and yes that might create a little bit of a higher risk practice but if you look at any super super successful business um, i shouldn't say any but many super successful businesses they have this definition of their customer that's incredibly tight. And we see that in financial services. We see that in like business coaching, people that are consultants. Um, you certainly see it in a number of different areas. Uh, Mike, what does your firm structure look like? And, and this is kind of, you know, I'm, as I ask this question, I'm thinking, well, are we talking about Austin or Traverse City? Because I know they look differently. So I'll let you choose which, um, which operation you want to. Yeah,
1: I'll focus on about. Austin because that's where I live and that's where I'm active Um, Our structure is we have myself, two other financial advisors, and I have, let's see, uh, one, two, four other uh, support staff. So we have four support staff supporting three advisors, um, and and that's kind of how we're structured. Um, Pretty small operation here, but, you know, we don't have that much yet. I believe in running uh, lean and mean. If you can, that's, uh, you know, you can easily spend a lot of money on staff that you don't really need um, you know in my opinion uh, but and that same is true up in, in Northern Michigan by the way both offices the, you know there are not we don't have these like 20 30 people um, firms I mean you know between both offices you know right now I think we have somewhere around 600 million dollars or better of money that clients have entrusted to us that doesn't mean that we have to have though, 30 people, you know, to make it to serve the business. Right. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. Uh, no, no,
0: you are. Um, so you, so you've got, but the, the point, I think one of the things I see immediately is there's more than one staff person per advisor, right. Which is the opposite of what a lot of advisors do. I mean, back in my Northwestern mutual days, you'd have four agents splitting the cost of one assistant. Um, yeah.
1: It doesn't you work know. well, does it?
0: No, it doesn't work well, and it sucks for the clients. You're not doing a good job for the client. And so uh, that's one of the things that jumps out at me right away. The other thing I think you said is important is you don't have to look like somebody else. You know, we have 40 employees. You don't have to look like that. Um, You you know, a significant amount of our employees are in marketing because we just market the crap out of the areas that we're in because that's kind of what I like to do. That's who I am. But if you stop marketing that aggressively – You don't need a bunch of people. You know, if you say, okay, my goal is going to be spend 80% of my time taking care of my clients instead of at our firm, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 50-50, that changes the whole dynamic. And so I think the important thing is, and, Mike, I've gotten to know you, it's it's figuring out what you want to be as an owner of a business and then following that, you know, whether that's, hey, I want to maintain a great practice, maybe bring on X amount of clients per year, I'm going to grow – at 15-20% a year or 8% a year or whatever it is and that's okay. You don't have to because I tell you, you know, we're about to go to World Series of Sales here. You guys are probably going to hear this after World Series of Sales. But I know what happens there. People look at Mike and they go, oh, this is the magic bullet. This is the secret. I got to look at Mike. Or they'll look at the Thackers and say, oh, this is the secret. I've got to look like the Thackers. Or I've got to look like Joel. And that's not true. There are so many different ways of doing the same thing. So um, that's one thing that pops out is is the the amount of staff per advisor, more support than our advisors. And just the fact that you know who you are, um, you know what you want, and you're relaxed about it. My guess is you're not going to go to World Series of Sales and feel crappy about yourself because somebody's doing something else.
1: Yeah, I don't, Joel. I don't even know how to find the leaderboard. I do. You know, <laughs> there's some people they focus on the leaderboard all the time. I don't know if there's anyone in this conversation that does that, but uh, I don't even know where to find it. Um, we just do what we do. We focus on what, and that it's a great. You know what? Bottom line, it's your business, darn it. Yeah. Make it reflect what you want who gives a crap what anybody else wants who cares what they're doing other than are they doing something that could help me make my business better for me right focus on your goals and everybody else's and and uh anyway that's the leaderboard quite frankly i think in my opinion is Uh, it's like advisors excels trick to get y'all to do more business, which is great for them, but that's not necessarily the best thing for you all the time. Right?
0: No. And it shouldn't be your focus. I mean, for us, it's kind of fun. Um, you know, I'm not good at a lot of things. I found something I'm good at. So I kind of like that. I'm also very insecure. So I like the validation quite frankly, Um, (laughs) but, but you know, we have fun with the leaderboard and, and it's a, but you know what, I'll tell you what, um, me and Eric might be the only guys that ever look at the leaderboard. So we've got another, you know, another 38 people at the firm that aren't worried about that. You know, they come to work, they want to serve the client. Some of them are problem solvers with client problems. Others of our future focus, bringing in clients or bringing in more money from existing clients. Others are sort of in the middle where they're just trying to serve in the best way as possible. They don't, I don't even think they know there's a leaderboard, but for me and Eric, it's kind of fun. We like the leaderboard, Um, but I tell you what though, it's not a focus. Like, I haven't thought about it this week until – I shouldn't say that. I did notice that they'd taken it down. But, um, but it's not a focus, right? It's not like the main goal of our – it's not the scorecard that says we're doing a good job for our clients because you can right. sell a boatload of crap and be number one on the leaderboard. And probably not with this company, but with a lot of companies, with a lot of FMOs and not be doing a good job with your clients. And I was at organizations that that were like that. The number one people were not doing, in my opinion, a very good job. Mike, break down your marketing. What are you doing for marketing up in Traverse City and what are you doing for marketing in Austin?
1: Okay. Uh, Traverse City is – And oh, by the way, I did want to add just one last comment before I move on to marketing – you, that comment you made about how you know sometimes people they focus on the leaderboard too much they grow their business they explode it in one year I've heard you talk about this a lot where wow look at all the growth look how great it is but it's not sustainable you know so right. focus on you, right focus on you just like you're saying you know take care of the clients focus on you you're great um, marketing wise uh, up in Traverse City I have a television program it's been running for I think eight years now um, half hour show it's on all networks all weekend long. It's so cheap up there. It's wonderful. And you're, you're doing the show,
0: Mike, you're doing the show.
1: Uh, Right now they're doing it now. Okay. The other cool thing is they've taken over doing the show. So I don't even have to do a whole lot there either. Um, But uh, uh, in any event, so that's going on. um, And then they do seminars still. And in, here in Austin, I'm on the radio, finally got on the big radio station on uh, Monday nights. I'm on, and we do seminar. I mean, still a lot of seminar marketing. And by the way, I do want to point this out on seminar marketing. You guys, if you know who I am, you know that I deliver a lot of new seminars out there for AE. Um, but I'm going to tell you what, the biggest, don't let the shiny object distract you. Find a seminar that works for you, and that's your core seminar. And then if you want to test other seminars, that's great. Uh, If you don't have a seminar that's working great, I'll tell you. You want to know what my core seminar is right now, Joel? What's that? It's the one you and and Josh Jones put together. Oh, really? The de-risking retirement. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. De-risking, three ways to de-risk your retirement.
1: Yeah, except I hate the word de-risking. Yeah, I know. we, we, changed that word. Um, but I'm what just did you change it
0: to? What did you change it to by the way? Because, uh, um, I, I kind of looked at that and like, ah, oh, there's gotta be another word, but what is it? And so we actually, like, I
1: think the title of ours is, um, retirement, uh, you know, successful retirement planning, you know, something okay. like that. It's more, you know, it's more positive focused than it is, you know, the, the negative side. Sure. But, you know, but, but the point is that, um, that's a great seminar because it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Although the, um, you know, that uh, I, I took the spreadsheet out of it. I don't like spreadsheets in the summer. So I made a couple adjustments. Like, I know you told me you took some of my seminars and you just said, okay, Mike, I'm going to keep the stuff that I like. I'm going to throw the stuff out. I don't like and replace it with the stuff I do that I like, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. We ran, we ran with that. So the point you're making, I, I, I want people to hear this. So, you find a seminar that works we ran with with so mike has a sem i don't know if it's still around there's two of them there was the five things i don't all i remember the five things and the seven things okay there's, so there were five things right and then there were seven things two different seminars and we took like three from the seven things and two from the five things and ended up with our five things we ran with that seminar for 4 years during a period where we were doubling this business every 3 years it worked. We didn't give a second thought to, is it about the seminar? Because it's kind of not. Um, you know, it's it's about the beginning of the seminar and the end of the seminar and then just doing lots of them and filling the room. And that worked. It worked amazingly well. And guess what? I didn't have to come up with a seminar. Now, I don't know how much Mike had tested it. I just figured he says it's good. I'm going with it. I'm not going to put any more energy into it. And so I think it's really significant what you said. And I, I want everybody to hear this, Mike, that you find something that's turnkey that that is working somewhere else and just run with it spend your energy figuring out how to best serve your existing clients make sure they're taking care of their families are taken care of why would you want to create your own seminar in this day and age when you can just it's like can you build a car yeah I could build a car or I could just go up the street and buy one and um and you know that the car that you can buy is gonna work is it going to be better than the one you built? I don't know, but who cares? It's going to work. And so I, I like what you said there, and we've applied that philosophy to so many different areas. Um, so anyway, backing up little tangent there, another one of my tangents, but so you're doing seminars in Austin, you're doing radio in Austin, you're doing TV in Traverse city and you're doing seminars in Traverse city.
1: Right. Yeah. And of course referrals. And then we have like, and the, the big thing with us with seminars is we like to, um, we like to, uh, how do I say it? Um, uh, diversify the seminar mix. So like I want to do in, in Austin here, this is just for me personally. Uh, I like to do a, a dinner seminar once a month, which is usually a couple nights, two, three nights. I like to do maybe a steep seminar that might be a, you know, a, a library event or something like that. I even like to do the, um, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the classroom, you know, the university, the two night thing, where it's two hours per night. Yeah. Yeah. I have to do those and I don't do them as often. I might do them maybe every other month or something, but, um, I like those as well, but I want to diversify because, you know, if you have a bad, let's say one dinner, gets a crappy turnout, then I've got these others to fall back on. And, and that works really well for us.
0: Well, the other thing it does in my experience is it, it keeps it less boring for me. And, um, you know, that's a big thing. I don't want to be bored. Um, I want to I have things be fresh. And so if that means I've got to run two or three different things or once in a while somebody gets sick and i got to jump in and I'm completely unprepared, I kind of like that. And so by running two or three different seminars, because we do the same thing. We do the traditional dinner, dinner seminar that's fed by direct mail. We'll do events where we tell clients to bring a friend and we're actually doing a little bit of content, not a ton. We do the steep seminars that that are, oh, my goodness, they've started to really take off for us. There's a little bit of a struggle there for a while, but they've started to do well. And um, and then, of course, radio and TV. And it keeps me from being bored, um, which is really important for me. And, um, you know, that's worth money to me to not be bored. Uh, so you've got your seminars and then I know you have a specific sales process, which I think is so important if you have other advisors selling to you. So let's, let's skip over that piece. Cause if you want that piece, you can find it. Um, that's, that's, you know, on advisors, uh, um, what do they call the port? What is the portal, Mike? I always get it. Like, the adv- like
1: AE Insider. I Thank promise you, you if yeah. you're looking for a sales system, just go to contact your marketer at AE, and they can yeah. direct you to wherever I've been.
0: So, what do you do? What is the structure at your firm to maintain existing relationships? What are the automatics, like automatic reviews? They pop up on a sales, you know, some kind of a CRM system the money management? What are the things that you've set up that are just automatic? Nobody has to think about them. They don't necessarily get done by technology. Maybe they get done by a human, but there's a structure for serving the existing clients.
1: Actually, for us, uh, there are three automatic meetings that happen every year with clients. Uh, Number one is, of course, their annual review. Number two, we actually do tax preparation for a lot of clients. I pay uh, and for me, and by the way, always check with compliance on this one, but I had this cleared for me. Uh, I, If you have over 500000 of assets with us, I pay for your tax return to be done by one of our people. If not, it caught, and you want them done um, by one of our tax preparers, it's $179. Um, so that's kind of automated. And then um, we do tax planning. This is something clients love where I have a CPA that I pay hourly, and that CPA comes in and sits down with clients one-on-one, in the summer and in the fall, and does tax planning uh, for the rest of the year. So those are some three automatic things that we do to take care of clients. Um, outside of, of course, you know, obviously we do. You know, every quarter we do some kind of a uh, client event, like a quarterly update kind of thing. Um, you know, we do that, and and I one of the things we're working on that, that we haven't that I, I think you know how AE Joel they do these special events for top people. Uh, Right, We're crafting something like that together uh, for our top clients. Uh, We're now large enough where that makes sense. But, um, you know, that's kind of it. We're not super complicated, I don't think.
0: So uh, last question, and that is if we were talking three years from today, and, uh, you know, this question is the old Dan Sullivan question. If, If we're talking three years from today and you're looking back over the last three years, what would have had to have happened, Mike, um, personally and professionally, for you to be happy with your with your progress?
1: So actually the big thing that I'm working on right now, uh, two things, there's two things. One, I spend so much darn time trying to get some kind of a video, like a online seminar system or an online video sales letter system working. And I'm just, I, I, I don't spend a lot of money, but I spend my personal time because it's interesting to me. And I would love to crack that code, right? So that yep. if I figure if I can just crack that, then you know, mana will pour in from the heaven. Um, and I think that as time goes on, that that's going to be easier to crack because you know, younger generations are more comfortable online. The other thing is, I'm also now in a mode where we're at a point where I'm ready to recruit uh, other advisors. I have this goal of helping. Advisors who are at these wirehouses, like the Merrill Lynch's of the world, the Edward Jones of the world, you know Morgan Stanley, whatever they are, I want to help them go independent, uh, but do so within our umbrella, right within our system. And so I would like to. My goal is to have one person a quarter join us, and that would be in the next three years. That's twelve for twelve fresh advisors that I'm helping break away from, you know, the world of the uh, you know the Mama Mutuals, or the Mama, you know the insurance companies, or the the, the um, wirehouses of the world, to true independence, where they can truly do a better job helping their clients, and uh, I can help them grow the way they want to grow. I get a lot of, I really enjoy helping other advisors reach their goals. Uh, so that's the other big thing for me uh, over the next few years, and I, I should bring up a third last thing. My daughter Sarah is in the firm three years from now, I expect she's going to be meeting with clients and she's going to be on a track to take over the business maybe 10, 15 years from now.
0: Cool. That's awesome. I'm waiting to figure out if my son wants to do that or not. He's probably five, six years away from making that decision. But, uh, you know, that'd be a cool thing, right? I think that's what every business owner um, or most business owners dream about. Mike, let's close by talking a little bit about experimentation. You're a guy that's always experimenting. In my experience, you're always experimenting with something new, throwing a lot of stuff out there and, and putting your money behind it. What what are the pros and cons of, of experimenting with new things? And particularly um, what I've seen is that you experiment with a lot of different marketing. You just alluded to it a moment ago. And then maybe give us one thing you're working on right now, where if it works, it's going to be a game changer.
1: Sure, uh, my belief is I, I treat experimentation as R and D, like research and development. That's kind of how I view it. So uh, what I do, I, I'm a big believer that you you find things that work, and you and and then what you do is you you want to. Spend a part of your budget on R&D to figure out, Okay, what are some other things that I could maybe add to the mix to be to to create a more effective overall marketing plan? So most of the stuff I'm doing is marketing, of course. Um, Biggest, biggest con of all is you, you find you spend too much time there or you stop doing the things that are working in hopes that this new thing will. Right. Don't don't do that. Oh, my God. Never, ever, ever leave what's working for something else, unless you have proof that something else, your personal proof that it's going to work for you. Um, so, but the pros are great because you know I, I'm pretty creative. It gives me the the uh, freedom to spend some time creatively to think of new things. Like like you, I get bored really easy, right? So. Uh, You know, what am I, what are we, what are we, Joel? We're like ADD or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Although now everybody says they're ADD, so I don't even know,
1: (laughs) but yeah, uh, we need, we need new stimuli. We're on the extreme end of it, I think anyway. uh, But, but the, the thing is that it gives me the freedom to, you know, to work in that area and, and give that, that stimuli, uh, some time for me to satisfy that part of my uh, consciousness, if you will. But anyway, uh, the one thing I'm working on right now that's already seems to be working pretty well. Uh, so I got this idea from you, Joel, actually, uh, on your TV show. You know how you hand out those um, a physical item. You have people sign up to get a something physical. Yeah. I took that further and i said i created uh like an ira tax rescue kit you know like a an, or a retirement dream box i've done a couple versions of this where it's actually like a, a box that i send out and it costs probably less than 20 bucks between the box and what i put inside and and uh, you know all the content and then mailing um but i've built up already over the last couple months you know i've got 140 people i think have ordered this thing so i've got their but here's the best part I send it out to, I tell people, you want this box if you have over 500,000 in your IRA and you're worried about taxes in the future, right? That's so I've perfect. got 140 people now at growing every day, growing, more people are ordering. So I'm building a list. And then what I'm doing is I'm sending them special mailings to invite them to seminars, to um, to different classes. But any time I'm talking... They get a list like right now, every at the beginning of each month, we send them a special mailing saying, Here are the opportunities, and here's what we're going to talk about this month for you to come uh, here, Mike. And if I've got something special, I send a special mailing. But we've already had people coming, um, it's already paid for itself. And uh, what our next step is we're now pushing this out on Facebook. Um, and if I can get people on Facebook ordering it for a reasonable price, then um, that is going to be a game changer.
0: That's awesome. Mike, thank you, um, for, for giving us this time. Uh, you've helped me. I know you've helped a lot of other people and I appreciate that. And, um, I know you're going to be a world series of sales and many, many, um, events this year, uh, with advisors, Excel, you've been very generous with your time. And so, um, anything you want to say last parting words here?
1: Uh, simply, uh, remember not every person is a prospect, uh, I want to thank you personally, Joel, because as always, you you know, we, we learn from each other and I don't want to discount everything I've learned from you as well. I think you, you deserve a lot of kudos for all the sharing you do. Um, and, and Hey, everybody use Joel's use that de-risking seminar, man. It's killer.
0: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you soon. And uh, that has been another rainmaker evolution podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. There's a whole bunch of them. There's probably a hundred of them now. You can go back, start at the very beginning. We talk a lot about business structure, sales, marketing, and philosophy of the business, which is what you've been hearing a lot of today. I hope you picked up on that. Um, A lot of it's about the way we think about our businesses, not necessarily what we do, although what we do is also important. Uh, Have a great day out there, and we'll see you soon.